G'day, Hob Grotz, AOS Coach here, and we are talking uh, all things Auric War Clans, but not just any War Clans, folks. We are talking about the Cruel Boys. Yes, we're going to have a cruel, cruel summer, and this is a discussion that is 12 months overdue. I tried to get this guest um, for the last discussion, but unfortunately, we couldn't line things up. But I am here with Mike Chatterton, aka Elnar on Goonhammer. So I'm sure you're all very familiar with Goonhammer. Great website, great content from Alice and, and Elnar. But also, you've got a YouTube channel as well, Fantasy Wargaming. Did that run right? That's correct. It's an got M, it. Not an nailed M. it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we're going to talk Crew Boys. So before we get into all the good stuff and I get all your dirty tricks and I find out how to kind of crack this code because we're going to steer clear from Big Yellers because for the last 12 to 18 months, it's just Big Yellers, Big Yellers, Big Yellers. It's just pew, pew, pew. And we know there's more to this book than pew, pew, pew. Uh, yeah, a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> So for anyone who doesn't know who you are, they haven't seen Goonhammer, um, can you introduce a little bit yourself, where you're from, and more importantly, what got you into the Cruel Boys? Yeah, so as, as you said, my name's Mike. Uh, I've been playing Age of Sigmar seriously for probably about three years now. Um, I like to uh, really get involved in the competitive community. A lot of the content I do for Goonhammer, as well as for Fantasy Wargaming, is all about uh, kind of analyzing the competitive scene, um, seeing where the metagame is at, and basically trying to translate that into information that people can actually use. Be it for Goonhammer, where I'm highlighting lists and why they're successful and why they're interesting, or my own content on Fantasy Wargaming, where I'm guiding people along with my own journey, like what my thoughts are, how I'm adapting lists, um, as well as little tips and tricks I'm picking up along the way. Um, as that pertains to uh, Cool Boys, I really got drawn to them when they got announced because when I played 40k, uh, which was the system I played beforehand, I played um, Orcs there and I played Blood Axes. I'm not sure how familiar they are, you are with them. Blood Axes, for those not in the know, were essentially like the really tactical... Um, bizarre like they were seen as like the outcasts within orcs because they would potentially do mercenary work for the imperium they would dress up in uniform they would they would wear like camouflage and they would be sneaky gits and i like this idea of let's stick a, a hulking great brute of a dude in tactical war gear and then like try and it, it's like that weird clash of um of styles and what was interesting for me about cruel boys and what drew me to them was it was so unlike anything else that Oryx were previously. Um, and that just immediately drew me in. Um, the, the models for um, the, the Maya Brute, um, the Breaker Boss on Maya Brute with the big two clubs and the Bident Goad and Gobsprack, like the Vulture is just an incredible centerpiece model. Um, absolutely amazing. And that combined with, as we learned more about Cruel Boys and the fact that they were all about this like dirty fighting and not fighting fair was just, it, it drew me in. It, and, and I think that's the best way to get excited about a faction isn't like how they perform on the table. It's like, how does it draw you in as a player and get you excited about them? And for me, like they represented a space that hadn't really been explored yet for Orcs and that was super appealing. 
super different compared to your bone splitters, your iron jaws. And I remember when it very first came out, it was very divisive. It was like, this is super different. I hate it. This is not orcs. But then you had the other side where it's like, this is more like that gritty type orc that we see in like Lord of the Rings and and maybe more Dungeons and Dragons as opposed to the cartoony oryx that you would see. So either way, I think you're, I agree with you that what draws me into factions these days is not necessarily what's topping the meta at the time, but rather like, what am I excited to paint? What am I excited to convert? What am I excited to spend all this time reading the lore and thinking about my own lore and naming characters and, and, and doing stupid things that probably spending way too much money on because I like to be special. Like I'm converting my Stormcast. I'm going down a really weird rabbit hole of being anti-old cast. So everything that's old is basically Thunderstrike, which means I'm spending too much money on my hobby. But to go back to Orcs, they're really cool. And I'm not a Cruel Boys player. Um, I've had the chance to play a lot of Cruel Boys. In fact, this weekend I played a little bit of Cruel Boys in a big wire list. And I know Tubbs in the chat was mentioning what's the best list involving Cruel Boys and why is it big wire? And it's interesting because I actually put a tweet out. I don't know if you saw the tweet over the weekend, but my mate Austin had um, spiked his shooting attack from the Bolt Boys and did 22 mortal wounds, not using the the combination of increasing it from two to three. So my poor old Stormcast Dragons got um, belted. Luckily, I, I was able to rally them twice um, to, the, to the tears of my opponent. Oh, ouch. Yeah, the the... the um shout out to alex by the way like we 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 talk shop about big war um a lot um and cruel boys come up in that discussion as well um oh i, I just had a bit of internet issues sorry it seems to it's have resolved all, itself all good yep you yeah i mean cruel boys i think you know looking at what john mcgraw mentioned you know just absolutely their their lore is incredible and it just opens up so many exciting things you can do and we're going to talk about law we're going to talk about lists we're going to talk about how you're thinking about the faction um and we're going to talk about other parts of the book that i think when you go down the the when you go down the big yellows route it just focuses you down onto bolt boys it focuses you down onto shamans and it just loses out so much of the great models that um are only starting to see the light of day yeah the the there's been an interesting process with Cool Boys players where they tried to figure out what would work. And there was definitely like a period where seeing 18 or more ball boys on the table was pretty commonplace, which is the sort of thing where, and, and this is this is going to be true when I talk about Cool Boys in general, they're very good at beating up what I like to call fair factions, where they just kind of walk forward towards you and they just try and punch you in the face. Like they have fantastic tools for dealing with that because fundamentally... And you, you kind of highlighted this when you were talking about the dice spiking against your dragons the other day. Like, the mortal wound output they have is insane. And the fact that they can project that power out at a fair range means that they have got incredible tools for playing against stuff like Flesh Eater Courts or Nurgle um, or, and like, Slaves of Darkness. You know, you like the straightforward move forward Fire Slayers is another one. Um, where they tend to fall down and have trouble with and where that kind of bolt boy spam list fell apart was well what do you do when your opponent outranges you because if they if the bolt boys move they lose effectively half their range so 
and, and the max that they can be in terms of range is 27 inches um like sentinels 30 inch range long strikes 30 inch range like a lot of the big uh, shooting big bads in a meta game simply um could keep them at arm's length and just pick them apart because they're a six up save you're paying 120 points for six wounds and all those lists fell apart because quite simply they didn't have the durability to kind of take in um to take those kind of shots um and then cool boys players started to diversify and went well what if we do sort of a monster mash list where we bring in some sludge rakers and some maya brutes but it never really felt quite um cohesive because well if you do that then it's like why you if you're playing all monsters there are better armies to do that sort of gameplay so like what are we doing here and it we're now finally starting to get to a place where i'm i'm not going to go ahead i'm not going to come out and say that they're in a, a fantastic place but that like the the baseline is a lot more stable i think you can do you've got a bit of wiggle room because of what the changes that they received recently have in particular grinning blades which we'll touch on um have kind of opened up the strategies a little bit yeah, because I know a lot of people are thinking about, is this time to jump from big yellows to green and blades, or is there going to be some space for um, the other sub-faction? I've just completely forgotten its name. I had it five seconds Still ago, bugs? and I've forgotten it. Like, three people in the world might be playing that that sub-allegiance, sub maybe four. Um, but I know as well, like a lot of people, like Flamingo Pie was mentioning, they got Cruel Boys um, with the Dominion so that box and they've got a whole bunch of cool models and it's like how do i expand this out so we're going to give you our thoughts and and you know my, my guest is going to share all of the great wisdom on how you can one start building out that faction but two how do you start thinking about it, especially with some of the the changes to um grin and blades and why this is now might be the time to switch from big yellows to grin and blades yeah um, and I know people as well, like people are asking about, um, about the Underworld's Warband as well. I know Crew Boys have um, an Underworld's Warband. How, little old Hades always asked me about Underworld's Warbands. But we talked a little bit about what got you into it, the lore, the great sculpts. They're certainly a little bit different for Orcs. If I was just picking it up for the first time, um, how do you see their strengths compared to even doing it in like, I could take aim models and put them into Big Wah, right? So, like, fundamentally, what is Cruel Boys all about? What are their strengths? And, and yeah, well, what are their strengths? <clears throat> so, if I were to describe their playstyle, if I if I were to try to sell them to someone and go, why should I be excited? I'm not even talking about the strengths, more just, like, what, could ex what would excite you about them? Um, I would describe them as a bit of a, a strategist and a gambler's paradise and nightmare simultaneously. Or well, what I mean by that is... They have tools to do some really interesting big brain plays, um, but a lot of their best tools rely on dice rolls. They're not as consistent as, like, say, some order factions are. <clears throat> Seraphon. Um, Luminef. Illuminef, uh, exactly. Um, but they have all these sorts of interesting uh, tricks that can help them win games. They've got incredible damage potential, what with... All of the Oryx across the book um, doing mortal wounds on sixes, and it's mortal wounds equal to the damage characteristics, so it's in some ways even stronger than what Luminef have. Um, and then you're playing constantly on a knife's edge. And when I'd say it's like a gambler's paradise, it's because like they don't have the same toughness that destruction is typically known for. So if you play out of position, 
you can get punished much more severely because they are simply not as tough as iron jaws or bone splitters. Um, in terms of strength, very, very high damage output army. Like their ability to project power out, be it um, from um, the Bolt Boys or be it from like a Vulture is quite interesting. It's quite, um, you can be very uh, pinpoint with where you put your damage. Um, there are a number of tricks. I I'm using like a, a collective term tricks here, but they're split out to different battle traits and aspects of the book. But effectively, in general, you're trying to set up traps for your opponent and you're trying to disrupt what they're trying to do. Um, they have one of the best spell laws in the game. I feel comfortable in saying that. All four spells are fantastic. And they're one of the main reasons why someone should be interested in running Gobsprack because he knows the whole spell law. Um, they're, they're four great spells um, that other armies would love to have. Um, and uh, like they have solid hero options. Like the Maya Brute is a very efficient combat monster. It almost feels like he's come from Iron Jaws. He just he, he sticks out because of just how different he feels than other units in the book. Um, the Sudraker, um, he's sort of like the piece that makes a lot of the other army, uh, the rest of the army tick because um, his he has like an aura of sixes to hit, do one additional mortal wound if they're near him, and he hits basically almost as hard as a Maw Crusher, but he's much 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 cheaper. He's like a budget Maw Crusher, and I think that if I describe anything as budget Maw Crusher, that should get people excited because the Maw Crusher is one of the most iconic models in the game, and it feels so fun to play with. Um, in terms of weaknesses. And this is where I have to bring bring the party down a little bit. They've got terrible mobility because they have no cavalry or high-speed movement outside of uh, the leader section. Um, you're looking at, for your, for your foot dudes, five inches, um, like the slog off and, and um, my brute, you're looking and... like eight inches. But even eight inches, it's like poor man's cavalry rather than like 14-inch. Um, they've got terrible durability outside of the leader section um your best save the leader section in the slug off the slug off is this weird thing that doesn't even seem to make sense within the army but like basically you're looking at a five up save at best which no one is ever going to want to play with five up saves they've got terrible access to ward saves um sorry did you want to no, no 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 i i know I, I, I like your honesty like i'm just i and I, I want to add one more thing to it, to it at the end, but keep going, right? Because I think, okay. um, and, and and I guess the caveat here, folks, for the listening is don't think this is like we're trying to convince you not to play Crew Boys. They're a great faction, but you need to understand what your strengths are, what yes. your weaknesses are, how to build around your strengths to really mitigate your weaknesses, or maybe to what to look in your ally pool to start thinking about, well, what can I do to, to maybe reduce that? And you know, perfect example is, you know, like I'm obviously not spoiling anything, but like the Underworld's Warband, the Gut Rippers, not Gut Rippers, the um, the the little wolf riders, um, the, the Ripper like, you know, Snarfang. The Ripper Snarfang, thank you, thank you. Like that gives you some movement if, you, if you're lacking durability and not la lacking speed to get to the objective very early on. Uh, they're not going to be durable. But you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. know what, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And if you're someone who loves speed, who loves the tank, then maybe this is not for you. Maybe maybe Nurgle is the army for you. So don't go buy them yet. But I wouldn't be 
I would be playing Cruel Boys as much as I have been if I wasn't excited about the possibilities. But as you said, I want to be upfront with people who are interested in Cruel Boys about what their weaknesses are. I mentioned before they have a fantastic spell law. The trade-off here, and a lot of it is trade-offs. The trade-off is we have very mediocre spell casting. We've got a great spell law, but we have no um, access to casting bonuses outside of the rogue idol. Um, and a lot of those fantastic spells require a seven or more, which means that it's a lot of coin flip situations. And that's that's before we even get to the point that your opponent can even try and un unbind the spell. Um, and lastly, um, you're, you've got a reliance, perhaps more so than other factions, on rolling high. And what I mean by that is some of our best tools, like our dirty tricks, a lot of them require dice roll of a four or more. Now, over the course of a game, your, your dice are going to average out. Of course, we know that. But a lot of Cool Boys' can su success can rely on those like high-tension, very pivotal dice rolls. And they are just... Sometimes they won't go your way. So you've got, to, you've got to have that gambler's mentality of just like accept that sometimes you're going to lose a game because the dice didn't go your way. They're not as consistent as other armies in that respect. That said, when you look at the strengths versus the weaknesses and how they play, they are one of the most fun factions to play because they, the, the law, the way that the army has been designed, um, it, it comes through on the tabletop. It feels like it should. It doesn't feel like it's just like the designers and the law writers were kind of operating in different spaces. Do I think that they succeeded in making the army like strong in the competitive scene? Not quite, but they have succeeded in making a really good baseline that they can kind of scaffold and improve over time. And I think that's the thing that should excite people about an army, which is the possibility about where they might go forward from here yeah like gargets i'm i'm excited about the uh, idea of a third sculpt kit like just an extra model would be awesome in my range but like when i think about cruel blaze i often think about guerrilla warfare and that's fundamentally what this army's about it's not about running forward it's not like your iron jaws it's not like your sons of behemoth it's not your horde of um of goblins and squigs and you know that type of gloom spike gets kind of army you're very much and you described this to me before we went live um it's very much a niche army very elf like like it reminds you a lot like lumineth realm lords or some type of elfy type army and it's within that niche of guerrilla warfare that you are attacking your opponent with a scalpel it is going to take you time to understand how to use your tools. And with the fragility of your faction, if you misplay, if you take yourself out of certain bubbles, if you target the wrong things, you will get punished. So there is a steep learning curve, but once you've kind of got it, boy, oh boy, do you reap the rewards. And you have seen really good cruel boys. We're not saying it's not competitive. It is a competitive army, but there is a higher skill ratio just purely because... Um, as you mentioned, the armor saves aren't that great. The ward saves uh, don't really exist. You know, things like gut ripper, uh, yeah, your gut rippers, like they're super expensive for your battle line. So you you have like Age of Sigma is fundamentally a game about trading pieces. It's trying to cash in your units for higher value units. If I make a trade where I take my 180 point Maya Brute Trogoth and I kill your 300 point unit, 
great. But there's also the flip side of that is because there's such a poor armor save faction almost across the board, if you are spotty when it comes to your movement phase, where you leave your units, how you position your screens, you can lead to situations where 500 or more points of your army can just get rolled up very quickly. So like they're, they're, they're very much a tactical army. And when you get used to how to position your Hobgot screens, how to know when to commit and how, when to hold back, you can see more success with the faction, but you have to accept coming into it that you can't play them the same way that you would other destruction factions. They simply won't function that way. Um, you've got to come at it as, as, as we kind of talked about that sort of elf mindset. Which is bizarre because it's it's not an elf faction, but it feels in a lot of respects like an elf faction because of the way all those pieces function together. Uh, next tomorrow's tomorrow's Goonhammer article is um, Destro Elves confirmed, uh, <laughs> renamed Cruel Boys. And you know, to Gary P's point here as well, you know, I think one of the frustrations that Cruel Boys players have is in the Gut Rippers because they are expensive battle line. And it's kind of what forced people to go into Big Yellows to begin with because they're like, well, my battle line options are A, Gut Rippers for 160, 180 points, I think they were at the time. You know, they're not very good. They're not very durable. They're expensive. Or do I go to Big Yellows? So um, I think we're going to get into the meat and the potatoes of the of the the rules. And I'd love to get your thoughts and and how you think and and start to build these rules into your army list. But before I get into that, I want to spin it to be a little bit more positive to find out what your favorite units are right now when it comes to Cruel Boys. Um, my favorite units are going to be uh, the Sludge Raker, um, I think is a wonderful piece to play with. Um, he has this kind of great feeling of being a very good counterpunch unit because he's a buff piece, so you sit him in the heart of your army. Um, but when he goes through and charges oftentimes your opponent will never play against one before and they will be shocked at you roll sixes and you go right that's that's nine mortal wounds and they go oh god and then you go no sorry that's my first weapon profile i've got three more to get through like um the the sludge is great uh the maya brew along the same lines is like a really high damage output unit it's very slow at five inch movement but it can do um five um poisoned attacks that are two damage each and then it has up to 10 ren 2 damage free attacks which is a lot when you consider that the army generally has poor access to rend and suddenly you have this unit that can put out a lot of really high quality um damage and then if i were to pick a third I th it kind of feels like a cop-out in a lot of ways, but it is going to be the Bolt Boys because I feel like if you were to take the Bolt Boys out of the army, the whole thing would just cease to function. That is a nature of like the internal balance being off within the book. They, in, in a lot of respects, they need Bolt Boys, really, I think, to effectively function. Um, but that said, they give you that piece that forces your opponent to kind of um, come to you and play your game like you don't want to be the aggro in this matchup. You want to let them come to you and you want to react to them. Um, be that because of the way that, you know, Unleash Hell works quite well with what Bolt Boys do. Be it because of the, the, the synergy between redeploy and how the Grinning Blade faction trait works. And we'll talk about that in a bit more detail, um, I think, a little bit later on. But essentially, you're all about laying traps and then counterpunch and 
the Sludraker, the Mybrew, and the Bolt Boys are all very good at playing that sort of game. Yeah, and you know, John McGraw mentioning in the chat, and this is kind of what I this is my feeling on Gut Rippers, by the way. It's not that Gut Rippers are bad, it's the fact that I'm forced to take a unit of 10 for 180 points or whatever it works out to be right now. I know, I know change go up and go down occasionally, but if I could take them in units of five and you know have them at that 90 100 point mark, I think I'd be okay. But I think it's the fact that I've got to commit 180 points. And if I reinforce them, we're now at 300 or 400. And it's like, do I take that or do I take something else? And I look at so many great options in this book. It's hard to justify. Like, if I want a screen, I want to take Hobgrots. If I want yeah. something to do damage, I'm going to go something else. As you mentioned, the Maya Brute, the Snatcher Boss. I'm going yeah. other things that are going to do my damage. Go on, you got something for me. Yeah, it, it, you, you're 100% spot on. I think that the, the, the problem fundamentally with Gut Rippers is they're a unit without a function within the army because they're too expensive to, to serve as a, a functional screen because they're on 13 mil bases, so you can't even string them out in a long line. So you have to put them, you either have to have little triangles on the end or you have to accept that you're in two ranks. They're 20 wound punching bag. If you get that down to a 10 wound five model unit, suddenly you can be like right i'm okay paying this price point for a screen because they're still fairly damaged this still fairly punchy five men five man unit would be and it works better as a training piece the problem with gut rippers is they're too slow and they're too um reactive but they're not tough enough to actually take any kind of punch so if you could split that if i could run two units of five one and then another one like say 3.1 inches behind that's great because suddenly you've taken that same level of points that you've put in your army, but now they function much better for what you would want them to do within the army. As it stands, Hobgrots, they die just as easily. They don't have the poison weapons, but in terms of value that you would get from that unit, because they're so much cheaper, you get what you need from them. And you never go to Gut Rippers for damage. If you do, mock bless you but like i feel like you're you're perhaps getting a little bit wrapped up in their damage potential and not being realistic about how they're going to function against some of the the bigger badder units in the art in the game right now especially because when we talk about ghb 2022 and we talk about bounty hunters it's like gut rippers will die to a screen unit if they're in bounty hunters like they just have no durability literally what i was about to segue to was going to be just for anyone who's listening to this um we are talking in context of the general's handbook 2022 season one where we are playing in galette or galley and um we are got things like um gladian veterans we've got you know bounty hunters there's all these things right and and you're right like i played a game i, I played a couple of games actually yesterday and i had three gore grunters in a big war charge and tag five liberators and 10 judicators um and the three gore grunters in bounty hunters basically killed two units at the same time just with the amount of damage that goes through through all the attacks so um that's certainly one of the other challenges and why again hobgrots become a better chaff because they're just going to be around longer and they'll be cheaper um am i going crazy or was there a, a rule update that allows you to get battle line hobgrots yeah, you're 100% right. And this was kind of brought up by um, Gary P in the chat is, um, oh, and Flamingo, Flamingo Pie, 
is one of the recent changes that they did that wasn't just the Grinning Blades faction trait, which we will touch on because I think that there's this coming down the horizon is this big yellows versus Grinning Blades discussion. But Hobgrots, um, they got a similar rule to what Sentinels do in Luminef, which is for every unit of Gut Rippers that's battle line, you can, you can, and that's a very important distinction, you can take one unit of Hobgrots as battle line. And what that means is um, if you're not playing big yellows, for those not aware, Cruel Boys only have one unconditional battle line, and that's Gut Rippers. And when the entire core of your army is something we're discussing as being just a, pl- a unit without a home, it was such a minor change, but it does open up an extra 100 points in list building because suddenly you're going 180 for unit of 10, Gut Rippers, one unit of 10, another 180, and now you can go, okay, well, I can run one unit of 10, um, Hobgrots for 80 points. So you save 100 points there, which doesn't seem like much, but when you consider the what we were operating with before, it feels like a lot because it's basically paying for almost a unit of Bolt Boys. It's paying for another unit of Hobgrots if you wanted. You're five points away from a Shaman. And it just gave us just a little bit of wiggle room to list build because the problem was simply there wasn't enough points to go around to get everything that you needed in if you were playing anything other than big yellows because coach 540 points prior to ghb 2022 and all these changes you had to invest 540 points more than a quarter of your army's budget into a unit you were fundamentally unhappy to be playing with in the first place (laughs) it's just it was madness yeah, no, no, and I agree. I agree, and I and I have the audacity to play Daughters of Cain and whinge that um to make my army function, I want to run Marathi in a cauldron, and I'm at a thousand points. Or I have the audacity to say that I want to run Crondus uh, and Purple Sun for seven hundred points, and I'm worried about being sunned back. Like, yeah, like when you're paying over one quarter of your army in a unit that probably isn't ideal. And I think one of the benefits that you and I both had being uh, people who get access to Games Workshop books in advance and we get to review and and do these things is that Games Workshop in third edition has started to unlock battle line options within sub-factions. You know, there are so many armies now that have like literally anything that you want to be battle line. You pick any faction, there's so many battle line options. Yet, yeah, you're right. You look at cruel boys and you're stuck with one choice but now well obviously you've got you got your bolt boys and now you've got hobgrots it, that it, just makes a huge difference to this building it, it was interesting because like I, i've obviously i've been tracking what the cool boys community um have been talking about when it comes to cool boys for the past year or so after the book came out and one of the things that i always found interesting was and you may have seen this yourself skull bugs will get to sub factions in a moment but Skullbugs are not being taken at the moment. And one of the suggested ideas that people had is, well, what if if you played Skullbugs, they made Slogoth's battle line? And, like, the bizarre thing about that is, and I don't know if it's some kind of, like, Stockholm Syndrome where Cruel Boys players have basically got so caught up in possibilities that they haven't really thought that through. I don't know that an army exists that would want to run free Slogoths. Not a Cruel Boys army, because they... they, they we were so desperate for functional battle line that we were willing to run free of a mediocre buffing unit that doesn't stack well with one another because we were just so anxious to have any other option that wasn't Bolt Boys or Gut Rippers. And I think that speaks to sort of like the weird headspace that Cool Boys players were in is we were just looking for any kind of 
out from simply paying 540 points on on this unit and the the the, the good news is we can shut the door on that because suddenly now you can go right i'm only paying 440 points on battle line let's talk about like the actual meat and potatoes of the army let's let's leave gut rippers in the rear view mirror let's forget about them yes they're depressing but <laughs> we could we could get excited about the actual the rest of the army and like, i don't want to i don't want to yuck anyone's yum i'm not saying they're bad i'm not saying they're bad folks if you want to run your gut rippers run your gut rippers but from a competitive choice point of view when you're trying to build a faction and being locked into three units that probably aren't optimal and aren't adding a huge amount of value to your faction uh it is a little bit of a tax so if you want to run them you do you but i guess if you're trying to optimize and go five and oh at your next tournament you want to do really well in your competitive scene you need to look at other options as well as um your gut rippers in order to maximize those points um just quick, I, I'm, I'm gonna bring up the rules i think we've been flirting with the rules yeah, for too yeah. long mate but i just want to shout out felix's idea this is this is what when i would join cruel boys is if skull bugs was a monster faction i'm down i'm down with monsters i'm a absolute timmy when it comes to monsters but we've talked rules right so we know that there are three sub factions so if i take the cruel boys and um i get an option and we'll talk about the the, the war clans in a minute your grid and blade your big yellows and your skull bugs to kind of customize your force a little more pros and cons there's a couple of other allegiance abilities you're going to get as a cruel boy i'd love just your thoughts and your perception are these things important are these things that you build around are these nice to have and you occasionally tap into them like give me your thinking right so you got venom encrusted weapons if you play cruel boys you know this rule it's uh it's one that comes up a lot but essentially if an unmodified hit roll for an attack for a cruel boy orc is a six um it causes a number of mortal wounds um equal to the weapons damage characteristic and the sequence ends so you don't make a wound roll or a save roll um and this will have no effect by attacks made by amount unless it's stated otherwise so what does this mean is this good is this something you build around it is 100 percent something that you build around um the reality is the army has um pretty poor access to rend with a few notable exceptions so the the quality damage i like to refer of refer to things as quantity damage where you're just throwing buckets of dice and quality damage which is how can i actually effectively take down save stacking units ethereal units units with um just innate toughness and the reality is venom and crystal weapons is our one-stop shop for damage um everyone knows sixes to hit do immortal is great now consider that a lot of our damage can be sixes to hit do two or three or even four mortal wounds and that really quickly adds up because it means that any auric unit in your army can potentially spike its dice rolls and take out a foot hero they can take out something that's valued way higher than what hit them and that's that's so important for the way that this army functions yeah, keep talking. I'm actually going to bring up the spike that happened literally the weekend. Keep talking. Um, probably the only thing I'll mention here as well is that you can modify this number. So there is ways that you can bring that six down. Uh, and there are ways, as you've mentioned, to make the um, the damage characteristic increase as well. So if you want to tap into mortals, yeah. and I think like at the moment with like Nurgle and Nighthaunt, you know, doing incredibly well, um, this is a good ability. 
But on the flip side, then you have things like Ardenath Deepkin that can really control where you shoot. So you've got to be very mindful how much you lean into something like, you know, just going all in on Venom encrusted weapons because it can backfire um, if you're being forced to shoot at things that you don't want to shoot at. Yeah, like the so so to I, we're not going to do a unit by unit breakdown, but like the venom encrusted weapons can be modified effectively in two ways. One, um, the shaman can give up their spellcasting for a turn to give a unit within I think it's three inches enhanced poison effectively. So now the mortal wounds will be inflicted on an unmodified hit roll of five or six, which is a, effectively damaging uh, sorry doubling the damage output of a unit. Um, which is great with um, units that have high volume attacks, like the Gut Rippers or the Bolt Boys, um, as well as the Sludge Raker by its nature of just basically throwing a bucket load of dice itself. The second way is the Sludge Raker itself. I mentioned it before. Uh, units that are wholly within 12 inches of the Sludge Raker, if they roll specifically a six, it doesn't stack with the Shaman buff, it does um, one additional Mortal Wound. And, and that is on a per six basis so if you roll three dice and you roll three sixes and it's a damage two weapon suddenly it's nine mortal wounds because it's two plus two plus two and then one plus one plus one i phrase that very poorly but you get the idea um and and and, and it effectively also doubles the damage output of a unit so when you look at the synergies suddenly you're looking at anything can really just punch way above its weight, which is super important. And it synergizes really well with the war, which you're going to cover, cover now. And I'll bring this up as well. So this is my mate, Austin. I played at me, right? So as an example here, this was his dice roll against me, mate. And uh, this is his uh, bolt boys shooting into my dragons. Uh, he used his Swamp's Caller Shaman to turn this from sixes to five. So five more, uh, fives and sixes would do mortal wounds. Uh, and the bolt boys not having the, um, the is it the sludge raker, uh, yeah. would, would just do two mortal wounds. So that is essentially their dice roll. And that's a spike, obviously. But that was 22 mortal wounds from one shooting attack from a, a one unit. Uh, popping off into my dragon. So you can see there that 22 mortal wounds in one shooting attack is nothing to sneeze at. Um, would wipe a, a, a Nighthaunt unit out very easily, kill probably some of the best monster monsters in the game, or at least degrade a, a Mega Gargant three quarters of the way down. So it, uh, it is a very powerful that. ability. It would pop Kragnos. Yeah. Uh, and then you obviously got the war. So you've got the big war, right? Um, there was a question in the chat. I'll just ask you really quickly. I don't actually know this one. Um, mm. Asking around um, with venom encrusted weapons, do the mounts? Uh, so do companions and crews get them because they're not they, mounts, but they 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 do they do get them. Like so, the the stab grot for a kill boss on foot, um, like the goblin attendant on the back of Gobsprack's mount, they do actually get mortal wounds. Um, so, like i they do I, it's just a yes question the, the, a yes answer they do um but because it is stated otherwise it's not a mount it is a, a companion um, yeah i mean obviously we're putting on the spot we'd have to have a quick look and just double check it there's not very many interactions the, the, where the, the reality is is that i think there's only two i think i named both companions that are actually in the book and they're not they're not a high impact 
dice anyway. So if they didn't, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But as far as I'm aware, yes, they would. Cool. Just tri we'll check, tri triple check the rules off offline. But like, yeah, it sounds like yes, but th there might be a little technicality there um, that we're not going to spend five minutes looking up. The yeah. other rules are the war, so the cruel boy war. So um, there are multiple versions of the war in this book, but the cruel boy war is once per battle in the combat phase. Uh, you when you pick a friendly cruel boy's uh, general to fight. You can crawl, call down the, the, the Cruel Boy Wah, and if you do so, two other friendly Cruel Boy units wholly within 18 inches of the general that haven't fought yet in that combat phase. Um, so basically, they're going to all fight at the same time. So you'd pick your general, and then two other units would basically get two activations before your opponent could respond. It's 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 like a super... Um, and this is where there's like an interesting comparison to be made with Luminef, because... Venom Encrusted Weapons has a comparison ability in like the, uh, I, I think it's Sun Metal Weapons uh, for Lumineth. Now, Cruel Boy's War is effectively like Lightning Reflexes for Lumineth, but there's its tweet in that it's only once per game. You have to have your general alive. And instead of two units fighting in sequence, it's three units fighting in sequence, which um, is obviously, I don't think it's as baseline as powerful as lightning reflexes however the potency of fighting with three units at once does mean that you can mitigate some of the durability problems that cruel boys have if you time it correctly the idea with the cruel boys wag and this is what i was talking earlier about setting up traps is you want to present a scenario where your opponent is engaged with your hogrot screens is wiped them out they're dead whatever and now they've got one or two juicy targets in the middle of the board and you can go right i'll charge with a sludge raker i'll charge with one unit of gut rippers i will charge with a my brew it might even be a foot shaman it doesn't matter what your intent here is just to try and get uh, at least three units in pop this thing off because because venom encrusted weapons means that everything has got a very high damage potential what you want to set up is a situation where you simply bury your opponent in mortal wounds and you don't have to worry about the crackback now, a couple of important notes here. Your general has to be the first one to fight, um, and your general has to be alive. So ideally, what this means is you don't want to put um, like a shaman as your general who's just going to sit in the back. I understand the temptation because you want to protect your general, um, but fundamentally, if you're playing in such a way, you're not taking advantage of one of the better aspects of the battle traits, which this, this war gets you which is that once per game essential flipping flipping the scripts on the game because what you want to do is basically give them one hell of a counter punch and leave them with not enough to get through your weak units um and and proper usage of the war maximizing the value of that is really important and um it speaks to earlier we we're talking about spamming bolt boys the problem with doing that approach is it also meant because they were relying on bolt boys they couldn't really maximize value of this and neil is correct here i think that your your general is likely to be a sludge raker i could see an argument for um the maya brute if you wanted to go budget if you wanted a general who was mobile so that you could perhaps um activate that cruel boys warg um and be mobile about it you may be considered a vulture boss which has less damage output than the Sudraker, but at 240 points, he is actually quite an efficient monster. 
I think that he's one of the more overlooked units in the book. Um, the problem for him is simply he's comparing himself to the Sludge Raker, and oftentimes you want to put the Sludge Raker in your list first, and then you're like, well, do I want to bring a second monster? And if I do bring a second monster, should it be the Vulture or should it be Gobsprack? But the nice thing about the Vulture boss, and I've played this at tournaments, is you make the Vulture boss your general, and that way you can guarantee that you can get him in uh, where you need him to be because he's 14-inch movement, so he can fly all across the board and really deliver that, that counterpunch where it needs to be. The problem with Sludge Raker is because he doesn't fly, because his 8-inch movement, he can sometimes get kind of caught between units and can't get quite get where he needs to go. But in yeah. general, Sludge Raker every time. I think unless you've got a very good plan, Sludge Raker is a very good baseline general. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I have never seen the melee bird yet. Um, it, it, look, every time the bird's on the table, it's always gobsprack. It's never the alternate, um, more comedy-focused one. Um, but I, I think to your point, you, you do see a lot of my brute. You do see a lot of um, snatcher bosses you see. And then your points go into your shamans and your gut rippers and some shooters. And that's your 2K on the nose, usually. Um so it's a, it's, a, it's a good ability. You've got to think this through. You've got to make sure that you set it up um, and you've got the units. You've got, I imagine you've got to think about what those optimum units are going to be that you want to get into the fight. So don't do it when you've got like Hobgrots or some some unit that you, you don't have the, the great output. Obviously, if they're your only options, they're your only options. But, you know, try to think through in advance what are those three ideal general two units that you want to be maximizing with the war because you know holy within 18 is quite a generous bubble especially if it's on like a sludge drake or you know something with a uh, quite a large footprint yeah the other one i want to talk about is obviously the dirty tricks and this is one that might throw some people off basically um after the players have received the starting command points but before the battle has begun, you get to pick one of the following dirty tricks. So this is something you don't have to write on your army list. So when you go to a tournament, it's not like you've got to pick lethal surprise and, and every game, whether it's useful or not useful, you're stuck with lethal surprise. You get to rock up to the table, see your opponent, see your list, see the battle plan, see everything and make an informed decision if you want to take Noisy Racket, Lethal Surprise, Disappearing Act, or Covered in Mud. Now, I'm not going to read it all. It's not story time with Coach. Um, I'd love just your perception. One, are all four of them good? Is there one that stands out more than others? Are there ones that you kind of associate to? So if you, I don't know, play Stormcast or particular factions, these are the ones that I always pick. Like, what is it you're thinking when it comes to the Dirty Tricks? Okay, so um what you'll know i'll talk about a common theme which is three of the four dirty tricks require you to roll three dice and you get the effect for each four up that you roll and what that means is three of the four are just inherently unreliable i have had games where i've rolled the three dice and i get like a three a two and a three and it's like okay i i wasted it it's effectively a battle trade that isn't active for this game so because of that in general because you're already playing sort of a gambler's paradise um, sort of army, you're picking Noisy Racket for the subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made by enemy units in the first battle round. A couple of notes on that. Um, it's not keyword locked. So if you bring an incarnate, the incarnate would be minus one to wounded in the first battle round. Um, if you bring allies in, they, they, they're minus one to be wounded in the first battle round, which is, which is great because it's an ability that affects your opponent's army. It's not a buff that's being given to yourself. 
That said, to kind of it's not always going to be noisy racket. There are situations where I may pick another one. Um, there's a combo with disappearing acts and one of the command traits that I will speak to in more detail when we get to the command traits. But if I were to talk about army matchups, let's say you're playing against a army that has uh, most of its damage output come from mortal wounds. So, for example, Lumen F Realm Lords. In that situation, Noisy Racket is not nearly as valuable because they're not necessarily relying on their wound rolls anyway because their damage is coming from sixes to hit. In that situation, you may pick Disappearing Acts because they run a lot of minimum-sized units and they're one-wound models. So you can basically... Um, Disappearing Acts is possibly the most exciting of the four. I, I'm not going to read off the whole thing, but the, the, the effect is you get a powerful but unreliable ability to kidnap an enemy unit, force them to put it in deep strike, and then at the end of their first movement phase, they have to put it on the board. But important distinction here, they can't put it anywhere on the board outside the nine inches of your units. They have to be wholly within their own territory. And there are a lot of battle plans where the territory is quite small, and it ensures, let's say it's a hammer unit, that they have to basically skip their first movement phase with that unit. It lets you lift screens up and potentially get to what's behind the screens. And this is the combo I'm going to speak about in a, in a, in a minute. Um, and it opens up these nice little traps that you can set for your opponent. Um, Covered in Mud is was a lot better in Big Yellows than it, than it is in Gridding Blades. It effectively lets a unit that's in cover, uh, important distinction, not a hero or monster, so typically it'll be your Bolt Boys, um, are not visible to enemy units, which can help mitigate against their counter-shooting weakness that they have inherently. Um, and then there's Lethal Surprise, which is possibly the one that I've chosen the least. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. So we talked about dice rolls. Consider this, Coach. Yep. You, roll, you roll three dice, right? You get one four up and you go, okay, I can booby trap one objective or terrain feature. My opponent has to be has to get within one inch of that terrain or objective. So let's say I have been successful. I've rolled a four up. I've managed to get them to actually move towards one inch. And then you roll a one and nothing happens. Or you roll a, a two up successfully, and then you roll a one for the, the mortal wounds. It's, it's, it's a dice roll followed by a dice roll followed by a dice roll before it even does anything. And that's the Mike, thing. Called Mike. Yesterday, against my game against Nighthaunt, Dragons now have a re-roll charge. I was four-inch charge. I failed it. I re-rolled it. I failed it. Dice rolls fails. Even even simple yep. ones like a, a re-rollable four-inch charge. I roll a three, then a two. Um, so I can appreciate why, especially from a competitive point of view, you want the reliability, especially because getting them, you could roll one lethal surprise and then you fail the four up or you get the four up and then you roll the one on the, the damage, right? Yeah. And I quickly had a look at your allies to see if you could ally in the Underworld's Warband. Is it Hothgorn, the um, the ogre with the... Um, they can set the traps on the objectives. And, oh, if you really wanted that ability, but you can't, your only allies are Gloomspite Git. So I'm like, you can't even get around that. I you think cannot, you, you cannot even ally within the book. You can't ally in Iron Jaws or Bone... Uh, sorry, Bone Splitters, which is so bizarre to me. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I do find that bizarre. If you want to do the allies, you've got to go big war, but it, it's it's bizarre. I, I am I am surprised on that one. I think you know you mentioned the consistency around the the noisy racket, great little ability. Um, I've had disappearing act work on me against me once, um, and it was annoying that somebody. What do they take away? I think they took away my sneaky snufflers. So I was playing my gloom spike gits, and my sneaky snufflers were going to go support my 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 gits with the loon boss, and it pulled them away, and it kind of delayed the buffs for. And then maybe like you have to use a hand of gork to get them back in, and um, it was kind of annoying. But um, if you spike that, um, it's a great little ability, and, and you mentioned um, very good, uh, especially probably now where we're probably seeing less units reinforced at the moment because um people are building in screens people have more objectives on the table now so they need more units in their list than, than ever before so usually uh, one, one last thing before we move on mmr has has pointed out i think a piece of feedback that the community the coolboys community given which i tend to agree with which is the the dirty tricks battle trait would feel so much better if it was just for the for the lethal surprise disappearing acts and covered in mud it was you roll a d3 for, and then that was how many units got affected it wouldn't be functionally all that much different than what it is now but what it would mean is is you had a guaranteed effect you would have at least one unit affected by it and that's the problem that it has at the moment and it's typically why you pick noisy racket is because it's the only consistent one you have yeah 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 i, I can appreciate that again as a gloom's like gets player that can't even use the bad moon in the first turn until they've <laughs> recently just made the change to the terrain yeah. piece I can appreciate that I want some consistency in my allegiance ability. Um, so, look, there's some good good uses. I guess the great thing as well is that there's flexibility, right? Yeah, there's, totally. You, you've, you've got to go in knowing that this is a bonus. If you if you pull it off, awesome. But there's no there's no reliability outside of noisy rackets. So if you're going disappearing act, it could be zero, it could be three, it could be somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else you'd add with allegiance? um no let, let let let's move on because i want to um i, I want to kind of talk about some of the the, the exciting traps that you can lay with these sub factions um Ooh, dirty tricks dirty tricks you got your sub factions um and probably call out as well in the in the june 2022 errata um there was a change to the grinning blades which is friendly grinning blade units are not visible to enemy units that are more than 12 inches away from them so that is an update yeah, and it's it's such a huge improvement for the viability of the of the of the subfaction grinning blades. Um, they were previously only basically in competitive play anyway. It was all big yellows all the time because they were the only one that had the functional battle line options, and they had the most powerful effect by far. Um, now it's much more of an interesting discussion between grinning blades and big yellows. When you look at the sub-factions, do you rate all three of them? Do you think some are better than others? Um, you often see Grin and Blades and Big Yellers um, on the competitive scene. Historically, it's always been Big Yellers. Grin and Blades has started to to come into the fold. Um, skull Bugs, probably not so much. I, I haven't at least seen many Skull Bugs. Do you think there's reasons why certain factions are doing well some things that may be a little bit missing like skull bugs we talked about battle line options um what's your take on the sub factions okay so fundamentally grinning blades and big yellows offer something valuable which is either they improve 
our threat projection with the big yellows and the, the damage output, um, or they give us some form of durability. So out of the mists make us better in the metagame against overshooting units, as well as it affects spells as well. So targeted long range damage spells um, or debuff spells we can't be hit by because of out of the mists, meaning they're not visible. Doesn't affect stuff that doesn't require line of sight, but it is notable. And then there's skull books. And the reason why we don't see skull books is because it's ostensibly supposed to be something that makes our units more durable. But in practice, it's simply too inconsistent to be worth it over the, the, the tools that Big Yellows and Gritty Blades offer us. At best, a monster could be a four, um, on a four up, it could be minus one to hit, which is okay, but it's nowhere near like the best defense for cool boys is simply not to get hit in the first place. And Big Yellows mean that your Bolt Boys can be further back and still do their damage, which protects them. And Grinning Blades means your opponent has to come and beat you up, up close if they even want a chance to throw a dice. And the, the difference there is, is important. It, it, they're guaranteed effects. They don't require a dice roll. And the Skullbugs one is simply too inconsistent to really be, to be worth considering if you're going to a five-round tournament. If you just want to have fun, Skullbugs are still like they're, they're, they're fine. They're functional as a, a, a sub-faction. They just won't give you the same tools that the other two do for competitive play. Yeah. Like, I'm just rereading this and I'm just having a think about Skullbugs. And it's on a four up if you're within three. If I'm outside of three, it means on a six up. So, no, and, no, it's, you know, it's an important, important distinction there. For every unit other than a monster, it's just always a six up. If it's a monster, it's uh, a four up. But it's only within three inches. It does zero function if they're out of combat. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't like that. I think I think if I was gonna if I wanted a minus one to hit, I would I would tap into my allies, my gloomspite gits had who have a plethora of just minus one to hit. Like get yourself some stabbers or some shooters with their nets, and it's ironic, funnily enough, that I've seen a lot of um, cruel boys players bringing in shooters or stabbers as allies and screens and the irony is that i'm getting hobgrots and um hobgrots for the same rule because um all of my units are minimum 20 in size and i just want those 10 10 you know 10 model idiots that can just screen not yeah. worry about gladian veterans because they're not battle line um so it's funny that we got like this um uh shooting exchange program yeah, <laughs> I, lo I love that idea of it's just two coaches passing each other on the on the highway. One of them's full of hogrocks going to cruel boys. One of them's full of gloom spy gits going to. Um, I've, I've got them backwards, but you get the I, idea. Right. I, I, I got the better trade because I used to get the marsh crawler, which is probably the best gloom spy gits model in the range. But yeah, you can clearly <laughs> see why grin and blades and big yellers. Grin and Blades especially because you're right. Like, I can't be targeted for shooting. I can't be targeted for magic. Obviously, things like Sentinels break that because they don't require line of sight. Um, but there's things like, um, yeah, like for most things that want to target you either from range, it's forcing you to get within close. And if they're within 12 inches, it means you can shoot them off. You can get them into combat. You can charge your monsters in. You can use your own magic and your hexes and different things. Um, and it's delaying, and you mentioned right at the top of the show how you don't have the durability in um, Cruel Boys. So by delaying the damage tool, you being closer, being within 12, it means you get that extra turn or two 
to not sustain damage. And, and and even more so than that, the nice thing that that 12 inch rider, the fact that it's 12 inches gives you is that there are certain shooting units where they have quite a large footprint on the table. So for example, uh, bow snakes, they're on quite large bases, judicators, they're on quite large bases. So the natural inclination of a player, if they want to be able to shoot you is they want to get as much of them as close as possible. Now consider it is on a per model basis. So on a large unit like that, the front rank might be able within 12 inches, but the back rank may not. So even if they get in range, they might not be firing at full potential. And if they move even closer to make sure that the, the, the models in the back are in range, the likelihood is, especially if they're a big footprint unit, they're now suddenly within nine inches of the unit they're trying to shoot. And then you can redeploy and you could redeploy. Mm. And if you roll a free, you're back out of 12 inches again. And, th and this is this is one of the best kind of traps that you can set up is suddenly the opponent has used their movement to come closer to you and they can't even do what they wanted to do in the first place. They probably cast they probably cast spells and abilities and they're trying to buff up that particular unit to go in to handle your army. And and then yeah, you're right, you do a cheeky redeploy and the thing that they wanted to get into is no longer a, th a target for them. I love that. Yeah. I love that redeploy. It's a great way to think about it because most people redeploy just to get uh, get away from combat. You're thinking about this as well, especially with the grin and blades. So um awesome awesome uh funnily enough the person who uh, i was just talking about with the mortal wounds fight just joined the chat um hey aussie good to see you here yeah there was totally massive spike I, I can only appreciate if you would have had the three damage as opposed to two but you can kind of see why before grin and blades became changed why big yellow stood out grin and blades has uh definitely got play and why you should now think about bringing it in because there's a lot of great um there's a lot of great uses uh, in the game and um a lot more people are looking at shooting a lot more people are looking at shooting now and um you know zench coming out and you'll have lumineth coming out probably as the next books and they're gonna have a lot of you know magical power that wants to target your key pieces boom you're not in range you can't see me lol so interesting enough one of the biggest threats now to grinning blades lists is uh storm fiends because of a rule that i'm pretty sure most people forget about because when you look at storm fiends you think about their raw damage output sorry you're gonna do you know what i'm talking you, about no, um, I'm, I'm curious i i was i was motioning tunnel what what are you going to talk about um wind launchers a 24 inch range and they have the important distinction of they don't require line of sight most people never even notice because like of the way that that unit functions in practice but they do and in practice, what that means is the storm fiends can very effectively um, force uh, bolt boys to come to them in order to kind of play that kind of shooting game. Um, and it's 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 scary because like you, you think about how tough storm fiends are, and the unit of six, they've effectively got what fourteen wounds they can take before the actual shooting guys even get uh damaged because they always take the melee ones because they have to but they're always the one that they remove first and, and that one's got seven wounds as opposed to six wounds yeah 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 no i like it i like it a lot um and then like you know you start to kind of double down into tricks even further right you've got command traits you've got artifacts um without kind of again doing this story time do you like all of these options do you like some of them are there ones that just kind of stand out to you as like these are the one okay um, so there's the bad news is, is there are a lot of these that I think that you would just kind of skip straight over. 
Um, but that said, there are some very powerful tools in here. Uh, they're not all winners, but some of them you can do some real good stuff with. Um, if we we're talking about command traits, they're actually pretty good. All three of them I would consider taking. Egomaniac is an interesting one because it is effectively gives a bodyguard rule, but the bodyguard rules on the general itself, and it lets you pass off wounds on a four up to a friendly unit within three inches. Again, another important distinction here, it just specifies friendly units. It is not cruel boys keyword locked. So what you can do, and this is something I am going to be playtesting, is you could ally in um, what is incredibly powerful at the moment that everyone is taking. It's an incarnate. And you could go, right, I'll have my Sludge Raker next to my incarnate, and on a four up, I'll pass all these wounds off to the incarnate. And, ah. and and doing so, the worst case scenario is it gets dropped down a level, but there's a good chance it just shrugs off the damage anyway. And suddenly the Sludge Raker, its durability goes a lot further, which is an interesting little trick um, uh, that I've, tr I've tried once and I'm keen to explore more. I, I can see I, I, the cogs are turning in your head. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if I would use the Incarnate. I feel like you're holding back the Incarnate. I can see why you'd want to do well, it. I, I, I would I would be more I would be more inclined to use again those those twenty gloom spike kid idiots get a unit of shooters one hundred and forty points for twenty wounds bodyguard that if you I mean depends on who your general is like if you do a shaman or some type of foot troop type of of hero then that's an extra twenty wounds potentially as a bodyguard on a four up gives you a lot of rally dice as well um, as the unit kind of goes down but. I think keeping within three inches of an incarnate at all times, you're probably getting into your combat bird or you, you are holding back your incarnate a little bit. Yeah, the, the I would only really consider that combo if I had, like, say, Fasten on the Sudraker so that it could kind of keep up and then basically then be a power pair that always stayed next to one another. Um, if you weren't taking Fasten, then, yeah, I think at that point you're looking at, like, the Vulture boss because it's more consistent, able to, to pair up. But as Karadi's saying, as you pointed out, you can you can ally in Gloom Spike gets chaff and they can take the wounds, or you could pair it with a Maya Brute because they've got innate regeneration because they're a troll. Like I've done that before, but I feel like we're beating around the bush here because the the actual one that you want to take is super sneaky. It is an incredibly powerful rule that can set up set you up for success before the game has even begun. Before you explain why, can I ask you, is it superior than um, one of the universals, let's say Master of Magic? Um, are, is Super Sneaky better than what's available just to everybody? I think that, that, is, that the answer to that is going to be a function of what's in your list. Super Sneaky, um, it lets you pick up a unit, uh, basically after deployment's finished, but before we know who's going first, so it's much better if you if you are a lower drop than your opponent because you can basically redeploy it knowing whether you're going to go first or second. Important distinction. I just want to clarify before we continue. If you don't have a great candidate to kind of put a unit in position, say nine inches away for an alpha strike or a forward screen that you're setting up to try and play well into what you're doing with Grinning Blades, if you don't have that sort of game plan in mind and let's say you're taking an endless spell like... Um, purple sun for example then yeah you would probably consider master of magic the thing 
I would say is if you're looking to cast spells, the likelihood is you're going to be bringing Gobsprack to do it because he know he's a two-cast wizard and he knows all the spells in the lore. Every other wizard we have, either the Shaman is likely going to be giving up his spell casting for his buffs anyway, so Master Magic isn't a great setup there. Um, you, you, let, let me put it another way. Your best case scenario with taking Master Magic is you're putting it on the Sludge Raker and you're giving it Arcane Tome. And then you're giving it like a potent um, spell like Nasty Hex or uh, Choking Mists. And your idea here is you want to set up that spell on the front lines. If that's your plan, by all means, you can do it. It is still incredibly powerful. Master Magic's very good. For me personally, I tend to go for Super Sneaky. But there are players who are doing it to some success. And I think it is a worthwhile consideration. It just, Like I said, it depends what you're trying to do. What I want to talk about with Super Sneaky, and I alluded it to it earlier with Disappearing Acts, is I've, I've set this up over the course of the show. We've talked about the Maya Brute, um, who is a very efficient unit. It's 180 points. It can do up to 10 damage free Ren 2 attacks and 5 damage 2 mortal wound attacks, right? But its primary setback has always been it's slow. It's a 5 inch movement. So there's a little combo you can do here. Because it's got a mount, you can give it faster, so it can move once per battle in the hero phase, so you can move it five inches forward. Uh, if you Could you go back a slide to um, the battle traits for a second? Sure, sure. Uh, the, the generic uh, ones? Yes. So if you look at Disappearing Acts, um, this is the combo. What you do is, if your opponent has set up, let's say you're playing against Seraphon, and they've got their Slam, and they've got their Astrolith Bearer, and yep. they've got their engine of the guards, and then they've got a, a unit of ten skinks in front. Yep. It's a it's a big it's a ballsy play because you are relying on that four up, but you go right. I'm gonna redeploy with um, super sneaky and put the my brute nine inches away from the skinks. I am then before the game begins. I'm gonna try and smuggle those skinks into next week, um, and then I'll take the first turn. I will hero phase move five inches uh, with the fastened battle trait, the mount trait. And because it's in the hero phase, they I can redeploy in response to that. Cut all that and defense. They, uh, well, I, I'm not in combat yet, but um, I can shut off the redeploy. If they're still not within like a, a reasonable charge distance range, I could also do the movement phase move. But the, the key here is if your opponent has castled in such a way that they are exposing key pieces, and they have to be key because you consider that you are essentially going to be throwing away this unit. If he can go in and he can decapitate a slam, or he can um, take out um, like Teclas because a my brute is strong enough to punch, especially because he won't have his five up ward yet. Like you think about this, these sort of situations. Now caveats, because it's reliant on the wounds characteristic, you're not going to want to choose it against say. Iron Jaws, where everything's like two or three wounds because it's not consistent enough. And more to the point, like, who is that fragile support piece you're going to try and punch? When certain matchups, it's really powerful. Um, the, the, you can go back to the, the, uh, the command traits now. The, 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 the other important aspects of it is it lets you have outs in situations where you don't have priority. So let's say your opponent has lower drops than you, and they're a shooting army. And what their game plan wants to be is give you first turn because you're out of range for your bolt boys and you can't really do any effective shooting. What you do 
is you present the Maya brute nine inches away from them off to the side. So you go, okay, I'm giving you a dilemma here because either you give me first turn so that you can set up your like potential double turn, but I get to get in your face with the Maya brute and then you have to shoot the Maya brute anyway. And I've disrupted what you're trying to do or they go first. And yes, the likelihood is, as I lose the Maya brute, but, I consider that in a shooting mirror where I want I want the potential to have the double because it's very good with bolt boys. I consider giving up 180 points for that to be worthwhile because I will kill more that and more in the crackback. And what it ends up being in practice is just a really powerful trick that's very versatile. There's a lot of interesting plays that you can make with it. Sometimes it's just as simple as you move three bolt boys into a position where they can snipe at a hero. Sometimes it's you put 10 hobgrots onto a objective that um, your opponent has no Galician veterans near, and you go, okay, I'm going to make that proving ground. I've started the game with a Galician veteran unit on it, so it's I've captured it, and then I can redeploy off it. I'll still have it because he can't contest it, because that unit isn't negligent. You see what I'm saying? It just gives you so much interesting play. And and that for me is, and, and I knew that would be my answer too. Um, Master of Magic, for example, great command trait. Awesome command trait, especially if you want that guaranteed, or not guaranteed, but as close as guaranteed as possible to unbind, dispel, and cast things, right? you got that critical spell. you got that critical endless spell. Boom, you've got a better chance. You want to remove that purple sun that your opponents cast you've got a better chance to kind of get rid of it right but when you think about the versatility of board presence you talk about the screens you talk about hitting an opponent hard and i do want to kind of get to a question that's come up from the chat from jonas who's talking about does super sneaky get less effective if you're not sure who's first or you don't have control of the the deployment because your high drops your opponent is battle regiment um or whatever that might be it, it, it definitely is weaker because basically you cannot be sure about how your opponent's going to react. And this is why I said, if you, if you're using super sneaky and you don't, and you don't have priority, you don't have that decision about who's going first. You tend to be either a bit more defensive. Like I said, you use like a hobgrot screen to control where your opponent can move or you're setting up that selfish choice dilemma by presenting a Maya brute at, Typically, it has to be a Maya Brute because it's that sweet spot between being cheap enough that you don't mind throwing it away, but also impactful enough that it can do the work it needs to do before dying. Um, like you wouldn't do it with a Sludge Raker, for example, because you're just throwing away too many points for that function, and it works better as like a count punch piece. But it is definitely... Other... Sorry, go on. I was just saying, what's the... I was, I was trying... I'm, I'm frantically looking back and forth on the armor save of what the Maya Brute is. Four right? It's a four-up save. Tw I was just thinking, right, like, you know, if your opponent does take first and they want to go kill it, boom, you do uh, finest, finest hour, hour. Yeah. On, on it. So it's got a three-up save. You could all that D in, in the shooting, in the combat phase. Um, and then it should happen... Should it happen to survive you could then use the heroic phase heal on a four up get three d3 wounds back and if it's not in combat and it's still alive you could always heroic recovery too so they've yes. put a lot of effort and a lot of resources into as you said 150 160 point model um that hasn't gone into 
your bolt boys it hasn't gone into your sludge drake you've gone into those things that you want to win you the game and and um because i'm oftentimes picking noisy racket as my dirty trick he'll be also be minus one to win in the first battle round and um you basically talked about the sequence of things that i have done in games which is i've used fine stower they've taken first turn because they've gone right i need to kill this boy um noisy racket's up fine stower is up and they fail to kill it and that is a nightmare scenario for them because i i've now got a piece right in their front lines yes i've given up fine stower but i can retreat out of combat um if I if I if I think it's going to die, I can heroic recovery on their turn. If I get the double turn, it can potentially go in and kill something quite important, and it gives me that time to get my bolt boys and my other units into position on central objectives. So yes, it to answer Johannes, it is not as powerful as it would be if you control it, but you have just enough tools there that you can still squeeze good value out of super sneaky in that situation. The ideal is that you plan your army in such a way that you mitigate, uh, you minimize how many drops you are because you want to control that decision. You don't want to give it to your opponent. And a, a couple of other things to call out is in that combination, the Maya Brute is doesn't degrade. So unlike no. most kind of monster type models, there is no degrading. So whether it's 12 wounds or one wound, um, it is going to be fighting at its top bracket. So you get a whole bunch of attacks, which is awesome. Um, and, and and yeah, there's a lot of resources that are going to have to go in to kill this particular model. So um, great thinking. I love your big brain um, strategy. I think to your point, and just to kind of round this off before we get into the, the artifacts and then some of the other things, is go in there with a plan. If yeah. you if if you're if you're going to be uh, high drops. Um, if you're not battle regiment or if you've even gone battle regiment and bounty hunters and your three drops, there are still armies right now building purely bounty, sorry, purely battle regiment for one drop. Then you need to think about if I don't get, I don't get to choose, am I even going to do it? Cause super sneaky says you can pick one. Yeah. So you don't have to, you don't have to, if you're not confident and your opponent's got, I don't know, bow snakes that can shoot in the hero phase. If you're up against, you know, KO and you've got a whole bunch of things, you're like, eh, I'm not confident this is going to survive. Choose not to. You don't have to. So I, I have in certain situations, um, basically just use it to adjust where I have a unit deployed. So for example, um, Gobsprack, I may have deployed him uh, because I'm low drops, maybe I've deployed him early and he's out of range of a unit I need to try and unbind with. Or he's in position in such a way that my opponent has then put a big hammer unit facing across from it. I pick it up and just put it behind the screen on the other side of the board. You can use it very defensively and it will still get you value. Like, it's still great. And oh, yeah, MMR saying... Yeah. Go on. No, it, MMR is perfect. It's like, set him up to be sat on an arcane terrain feature ready for the first hero phase like loads of little tricks that you can do with that um, you could if your opponent has mystical terrain near it you could put that Maya brute on mystical terrain to give it that six up ward in addition to some of the other yeah. defensive buffs you could find as you mentioned arcane terrain you could even find damn terrain take that that mortal wound hit and get the plus one right there's so much variability if you haven't uh got one of the objectives as you said you could move on to an objective if you had a center objective point you could kind of jump onto the center um there's so much utility that that's why i would go super sneaky over master of magic yep 
Um, speaking of artifacts of power, like I think that it's um, like the, the the good news is we talked about how like the the way that our battle traits and super sneaky is set up is we want to be low drops. Well, the good news is we have no need for warlord because generally you, you're not taking a second one here. Um, of the four that are here, there's generally one that you would consider, which is Mox High Pebble. Basically, if you're in a heavy shooting meta game, it gives you an additional layer of defense, which is a once per game five up ward in a bubble 12 inches from the bearer, which is not not amazing. But when you stack it on top of grinning blades or let's say you're playing big yellows, then this becomes a lot more appealing because it gives you that same sort of durability buff. Um, I bite a rash, beast killer slop and spiker seeds. They're all once per battle effects as well. But none of them, I think, are, with the exception of maybe Beast Killer Slop, which has quite a high damage potential, none of them, I think, are better than Arcane Tome. Um, See, I would, yeah. I, would par I would partially disagree with you. Partially. Right. Okay. Games Workshop in this General's Handbook promised this inventory meta, right? This Galician veteran meta. If we ever get to a point where we're running with 60 zombies and re double reinforced units running around terrorizing the board, I could see Spiker Seed would be great if yeah. we're overrun by 60 zombies, uh, 30 blade geists, um, you know, lots and lots and lots of models. But at the moment, that meta hasn't um, created. So yeah. I, I would hold back on that one. But I do see value on Spiker Seed if that meta ever comes. Yes, like you're 100% right. I was looking at this from the perspective of what the metagame is currently. And the reality is, with the exception of maybe Soul Blight, no one's really running that many models where it becomes a reasonable consideration. There's so many kind of smaller armies that are building around bounty hunters where, like, you're just not going to get that same sort of value. But if we ever get to that point, it becomes a very strong consideration. Yeah, spot on, spot on. And who knows what's coming down the pipeline? Who knows? Maybe Pink Horrors are going to be going, or even Pink Horrors, you wouldn't use it on. I it'd have to wait till the destruction book come around but i think we all yeah. agree uh i i agree with you mork's ipad was probably my favorite but then i'd probably go arcane tome as well so um pros and cons yeah. um very quickly when it comes to your grand strats and your battle tactics you, you do have uh some specific ones now I've, I've cut out the ones that aren't relevant to you the iron jaws the bone splitter the the those types of ones do you tap into your grand strategies um from the book or are you going into your battle pack ones? I know a lot of people, um, the, the the faction battle tactics and the faction grand strategies aren't as strong. What's your kind of elevator pitch here? So I, I grappled with the new season. I grappled quite a bit with what the best grand strategy would be for Cruel Boys. And unfortunately, I don't have a fantastic answer because I've not really figured that out myself. That said, I don't believe that the answer is one of these battle tome options. Between In and Out Lads, War and Crumple Mall, um, the first two, In and Out Lads and War, requires you basically to have some units around. And what I found is if you're Cruel Boys, if you haven't just tabled your opponent, um, what you typically tend to find is that most of your army's dead anyway because we just don't have durability. So In and Out Lads requires you to have your general alive. And you've not lost, uh, you've lost fewer than half of your units, which just doesn't happen in close games. You will lose one or both of those those criteria. And then WAG, it requires either your general or a friendly battle line unit to wholly move in enemy territory. And the problem here is Goat Rippers and Hogrots die to a stray breeze. 
and your general may end up having to die just because you have to commit the general, your Sudraker, in order to kill something. This is not consistent. Um, ones like um, Show of Dominance or... Um, um, the, take what's what's the theirs one? and yeah there's, 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 there's a few there's one for killing all your opponents battle line which i quite like but i forget i've forgotten the name of is it no rest for the, no no rest for the week or something basically it's kill all of your opponents battle line and the nice thing i like about that is a lot of people aren't running heavy battle line anyway because they're trying to dodge galician veterans and the nice thing about port boys is they're very good at basically picking a unit and going and killing it and that's one that i can pretty consistently score so uh and then crump them all um i played with it once because i misread it i thought it was free off free or less enemy units in the battlefield but no you have to leave them with two or less and that's really difficult to do um and you can only pick it again another another requirement here you even need kragnos or gobsprack you can't run godrak in cruel boys but you can run one or one or the other no place for the week thank you gear chuck up but i'm also not known for my pronunciation but hey you're all <laughs> listening so yeah like i think at the moment like i don't think um i don't think any look war war is probably if you build specifically especially like a, a high movement general who yeah. you think can heal and tank and um survive through the game yeah i think war is probably of the grand strategies maybe your best one um under the gv certainly the battle line makes it a bit harder um to keep those around and keep them within enemy territory but yeah i'd probably go in the battle pack as opposed to the faction specific one currently if you're running big yellows there's 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 quite a strong argument for war at that point because there's a likelihood that you're running like a nine man unit of bolt boys and, and maybe the idea here is you they're slowly marching forward over the course of the game um but yeah, typically I would look at the the ones in the, um, the GHB over these ones, just because I think they give you a bit more versatility in what you're building your list around. What about your battle tactics? Technically, you got two unless you've got uh, Kragnos. Yeah. Um, do you either use time to get stuck in or take that, your suckers? Are either that, of those ones that you pull out of your arsenal? The, the good news is they're both great. Um, like... Time to get stuck in is very situational because the problem that Cruel Boys have, um, if you read it, it specifies that basically you can only use it in the first or second battle round and everything in your army has to be within 12 inches of an enemy unit to start uh, at the end of the turn. And the problem that this presents is Cruel Boys are very good at just killing the unit that's in front of them. So you can be too successful and end up with like your Bolt Boys not actually in range of anything. But let's say you're up against like an incarnate or um gargant where you're pretty certain they come straight to you you're pretty certain you can get everything around it like especially with the incarnate it's almost like a freebie because the incarnate comes right into your front lines and you go right everything's in 12 inches boom job done um take that you suckers is it plays really well with bolt boys effectively it's got a lot of rules, but what it effectively means is you've got to do 10 or more wounds to your opponent that are unsaved and take less than 10 yourself. You have to fulfill those two criteria. But with Bolt Boys, that's easy because as we saw with that picture you posted earlier, they're throwing like 22 mortal wounds out there. So you pick this, you basically, as long as you don't commit like a hammer unit to something that it won't kill, like as long as you're not throwing yourself into like a protracted combat, it's pretty consistent. So both of those are very achievable 
Um, I'll give a small shout out, I suppose, to Destroy of Empires because it is technically an option you have if you run Kragnos. Um, I'm not sure I'd ever pick it because isn't the Smash the Rubble on a free up? So it's it's like really yeah. Easy. It's not super consistent. Um, nice to have. Sons Sons have one, and my Gatebreaker give, can give me plus one to that roll, and I failed it. Uh, I've rolled a one on faction terrain, so again, like a three up to get your battle tactic is probably. I, I don't like that. I, I've done the work to get to the unless it's like round five. I don't have a lot left. Yeah, sure, yeah. I'll, I'll roll the dice, but it's not something that I would use often. Um, I guess we'd take that, your suckers. Um, if you're not running bot boys or you don't have many bot boys left, you could definitely still do this in melee. I guess the consideration would be maybe it's time to bring down the war. Yeah, and totally. try to like try to use those three units to clear off because i guess what you don't want to do is you don't want to do those 10 wounds but your enemy is still there to do damage back so pick that target call down the war do the 10 damage and hopefully you've removed those threats to to stop denying your battle tactic 100 one of the nice things about playing with cruel boys is because we've got two strong if niche options in our book um and our army plays quite well into the GHB ones. You've got a lot of options. Neil pointed out that this one's mine, the kill unit with your general, very achievable with the Sludge Raker as your general. Um, because we project so much of a damage out from the Bolt Boys, eye for an eye is very achievable. Um, we're not as strong when it comes to sort of the Galician veterans ones, but I mean, it doesn't matter because we have more than enough here between time to get stuck in, take like your suckers, and the ones in the GHB excuse me, where you can pretty consistently get those four to five battle tactics scored. I, I will say, though, that... Because um, I'm thinking about the Bolt Boys, right? So Bolt Boys are always synonymous with big yellers. But there's a good argument to keep those Bolt Boys even in Grin and Blades because they wouldn't be battle line, which means they're not gladiating veterans, which means they're not doing double damage against bounty hunters if they got into your... In, I know you, your boys are already fragile. The last thing you want to do is to, to remove more of them. So... There is there is a good argument on why, and you don't want to double reinforce them anyway. Um, usually, you find six six or you know one reinforcement's enough. Yeah, like the, the the weird thing how it ends up working out is, and we kind of danced around this for the entirety of the show is there's this decision to be made with: are you leaning towards grinning blades or are you leaning towards big yellers? If the metagame has any appreciable amounts of shooting, I think the answer by necessity at the moment with the way the army is constructed, it has to be Grinning Blades because, yes, Big Yellows are very potent when it comes to damage output, but the problem that they have is they're so easy just to whittle down and then you're losing them to Battle Shark and um, you're, you're going to have a bad time. Whereas with Grinning Blades, the, the Bolt Boys almost perform better because they just survive so much longer to do their damage. Um, so spoiler alert, like the lists that I'm discussing today will be using Grinning Blades. That said, I don't want to dissuade people from using um, uh, Big Yellers because they are potent. That extra three inch range applies to both the hasty shot and the long range shot, which means that your best damage profile, your two shot one, for those not in the know, if they move, they go to two shots instead of one. They don't hit as well, but your damage is only coming from the mortal wounds anyway, so you don't care. Um, that extra three inch range means that they've got an effective 20 inch range, the 15 from the, the short range shot and the five inch from the movement. 20 inches is a lot better than um, 17. 
I know it doesn't mm. feel like much, but three inches counts for a lot in this game because you don't. It's not a straight line. Think of it as a bubble all the way around your unit. It's the the, the bubble of threat it has is much larger. So if there's ever a point where uh, the amount of shooting that's in the meta game comes down, um, big yellows just immediately becomes a lot more appealing. I, I am thinking about, and I'm, I guess I'm talking the future state, right? And we know that um, Zench and Lumineth are coming next, right? And they traditional castle, you know, protect their wizards with bodies, right? And, you know, will Grin and Blades be able to reach those Lords of Change, Techless, the Sentinels, whatever it might be? You probably have a tougher time with Grin and Blades, but then on the flip side, they can't target you if you're grid and blades because they they can't see you but obviously sentinels and who knows if sentinels are going to change but i guess there's like a bit of a pro and con there but if you're someone for example like i played night haunt yesterday um to get to that cruciated to get to some of those buff pieces you need the range and they, they don't they want to be within 12 they don't care about doing the damage at long range so against night haunt big yellows is probably the better option um, especially, you know, with, with the mortal wounds and just do things, um, with the, with your bolt boys. But I guess that's the beautiful thing about Age of Sigma, right? It's scissor, paper, rock. There is no yeah. one list that rule them all. So mm -hmm. speaking of lists, let's bring up one. Let's bring up one of two lists that you're going to share with me. We, we've kind of given you a lot of theory, folks, on on how my guest is thinking about Cruel Boys. I guess this is where we kind of put it to practice and go, right, well, how does the list work? Why does it work? Um, and what are the combinations? List one. That, that's list one. I want a list one. We kind of ruined it with with the incarnate. List two has an incarnate. List one has the My Brute. It has Gobsprack. It has the Snatcher boss on Sludge Draker, uh, which is the general, by the way, super sneaky uh, arcane tome with flaming weapon, the universal spell. Um, you've also got your Swamp Caller with the Pot Grot, which has Levitate. You've got two units of Gut Rippers, two units of Hobgrot Slitters, uh, a unit of six Man Skewer Bolt Boys. You've got three Bolt Boys, three Bolt Boys, three Bolt Boys. No monster, no, no none of the Beast ones. No Beast Skewers. No, the the, the the problem with the Beast Skewers is simply it's it's a byproduct of the metagame because if you're ever in a world where there's a ton of high wound monsters, it becomes a lot more appealing. But against absolutely everything else in the game the bolt boys end up being more efficient and that's like how it ends up panning out in terms of list construction you can run them i've run two for a tournament before they've been okay but typically i tend to get better more consistent results from the bolt boys um so so how does this list work like what's the combinations um what are you trying to do is it a melee army a shooting army is it like how are you winning the game with this list Right, so um, the the num the first thing that I do when I made this list is I wanted to try and construct it in a way that I have as few drops as possible. So we've skipped over Warlord, we've skipped over Bounty Hunters, we've skipped over um, Expert Conquerors. Uh, the latter two, because we don't have great candidates for those two battalions anyway, because we talked about their lack of durability. Um, that said, um, we cannot fit this into... Uh, as few we can't fit this into a one drop or a two drop because um one of the drawbacks of the way that the cool boys army is made is a lot of our best heroes are commanders not sub commanders so they don't fit into only one of them can fit into a battle regiment um for those not sure what i mean by that is depending on the wounds characteristic of the hero they either class as a sub commander or a commander in this case 
the breaker boss, the snatcher boss, and the gobsprack, they all count as a commander. So here we've gone as low as we can, which is free drops. And the idea here is to maximize the value of super sneaky, and it's to maximize the value of that breaker boss combo that we discussed earlier. So you asked about combos. That is front and center here. It's one of the things that we want to present to our opponent as a, as a, as a question. If they do have priority and if they don't have priority, it's just another tool in my kit where if they position, if they don't deploy with double screens or they don't deploy with like a, a durable cavalry unit as their screen, suddenly disappearing act is an option to try and get into their front lines. Um, other combos here, we have um, one shaman who has got levitate to give the possibility to have the snatcher boss jump over the front screens because we talked about how we can get caught up um, behind stuff because he's a big base model and he's not got flight inherently. Um, the shaman also can buff the unit of six bolt boys. You'll note here I've gone 15 in total, six free, free, free. The reason for that is the leader gets one extra shot. So we want to try and have as many leaders as possible. Small units uh, mean we're not as liable to uh, sorry uh, battle shock issues, um, which is key because this army is not a high leadership army. Um, we have one unit of six because, um, because we can only super sneaky one unit. Say if we want to pick out one key pivotal um, support hero, like I'm thinking maybe if my opponent is Iron Jaws and they're only running one War Chanter, let's say they're playing um, Daughters of Cain and they've got like a high gladiatrix, one of them, and they've got a lot of Witch Elves. Or I'm playing against Slaves of Darkness, I want to take out the Chaos Sorcerer Lord. Like, I can super sneaky that one unit of six and get seven shots with it at long range, guarantee that I'm in range, or 12, sorry, 13 if I'm in that short range window. So um, that's that's why we have that one unit of six because a it maximizes the value from super sneaky and that unit is typically the unit that's getting uh, the poison buff from the swamp caller shaman. You're getting all that attack. You well, you you're putting your certain buffs on to that particular unit, and then if that doesn't do the job, you've got the units of three to clean up, and if it does do the job, then you've got a whole bunch of other options um, to go around and unleash hell, to go pick off other targets, to whittle off screens so that you can shoot onto those juicy targets. Um, quick question though: Is the are both the units of Hobgrot's battle line, or do you just generally use one? Just one, just one. The other unit is deliberately not a battle line. Yes, I could, and it would mean more for the purposes of proving ground. Um, in reality, as we discussed, Hobgrats tend to die to a stiff breeze anyway. So it's like, at that point, do I want to give up an extra uh, set of victory points on that um, uh, that one battle plan where it punishes you for having Galician veterans? Um, you it. You can play around with it. You could choose to put them both in battle line. I just I don't see enough of an incentive right now. Um, one other combo I want to note here. So when we were discussing Grinning Blades, which what this army is, um, we talked about the importance of being able to redeploy out of range. Gobsprack is a fantastic caster, but he also, um, if he issues the redeploy command, you can re-roll the dice for the number of inches it moves. So you set up that trap with like a hobgrot screen and then the bolt boys behind and they move to try and shoot the bolt boys and then you get to re-roll that redeploy dice 
So you're much more likely to get that three inch movement away or four inch movement away to get most, if not all of the models out of range. Um, and that's a nice little combo that you set up. Um, people get caught up, right? So I, I, I'm very passionate about gobsprack. I've managed to avoid talking about him for so long, but I feel it's necessary for me to let these feelings out. He Please. doesn't have any, he doesn't have any uh, casting bonuses. And people go, right, well, he's an anti-cast wizard. Like, why would I take him if he's if he doesn't have any innate bonuses? People need to stop thinking about him as entirely just a spellcaster. Consider the following, right? He's a monster. On a, and he's a very high movement monster. So you can get a, a roar off wherever you need it to be. He knows the entire spell law. So in those matchups where you're not up against the mega caster, he can provide a lot of utility, either by using sneaky miasma to move a monster in the in the hero phase, which spoiler alert is a really good combo with the snatcher boss or himself, because he could go 14 in hero phase, 14 in the movement, and then a charge. You could like harass a backline unit with him. This is where it gets to our next point. He is he's quite fragile. He's on five up save, but. He ha he's riding a vulture that is actually pretty slappy. And uh, we talked earlier about how Venom Encrusted Weapons um, doesn't apply on mount attacks. If you check the actual weapon configuration, it says that the Venom Encrusted Weapon battle trait applies to um, the, the Stinger. It applies to the Talons. And what that means is his, his damage output is a lot higher than you might immediately think. Certainly, it's high enough to pick off like a support hero. It's it's strong enough to kill a unit of five tree revs on a back point, that sort of thing. So, is he is he worth his points, two hundred eighty points for his spellcasting alone? No. Is he worth his points for his spellcasting, the rerollable redeploy, the fact he's a mobile monster, and the fact that he's quite a good skirmishing unit? Absolutely. Important to note here, we talked about one of the biggest drawbacks of Cruel Boys is their lack of mobility. Why would we handicap ourselves more and deliberately leave out models that actually have got good movement? He gives us just that little bit of, uh, uh, of mitigation against the weakness that we have. And that really helps. Now, one of the things that you might consider is, well, I've got a wizard. Why don't I bring in cogs? Why don't I bring in purple sun to make that spellcasting more consistent? I think if we get away from all the Fanquos that are running around at the moment and um, Nagash and Techless, if there's Slans, if there's less of them, absolutely. The problem is I don't think it's like a value proposition, 280 points for what you get in him. Yes. If you're suddenly adding on another 110 points to give him all these bells and whistles and endless spells, you're not going to get that consistency enough, I think, to make that point. They'll make those points back. See, if anything, it's I think you make some great comments. Um, a couple of other things I would consider is as an opponent, if I had if I see Gobsprack on the table, I'm really thinking about my casting because each time that you unbind a spell, I'm the cast is gonna take D3 mortal wounds. And if you roll a 10 up, then it's D6 mortal wounds. Yep. You have an arcane piece of terrain to increase the cast or and the unbind. Um, you could be popping those little five wound idiots. Um, and often if people are going into two, three, or four, not four endless spells, but up to three endless spells, and you are seeing multiple endless spell lists, um, you can quickly kill those wizards because most people aren't running these 
these 10 wound commander wizards in multiples so i think there's a lot of value and then for the likes of thankful that can do a plus four cast to you know put on boatman um when he's next to the piece of terrain well you've got your three you've got your once per game 3d6 unbind which yeah. i think is a powerful ability especially if you can get that arcane piece of terrain and even if you use your little sneaky teleport to move um one of your one of on him onto a piece of terrain so and there's a lot of utility in gobsprack i'm i'm not anti against him but i'm also not looking at him as a supercaster no like the he, the nice thing about gobsprack is that threat of the unbind you don't even necessarily mm. have to get it off what it does is it presents your opponent with interesting decisions I have in the past gotten um, a kill off on a unit by just doing two incidental unbinds. And then they have to stop spell casting with that model altogether or give up their heroic action to do heroic recovery. And suddenly I'm making them do things that they don't want to do. The, they set up, it pairs really well with the Bolt Boys because I might unbind the unit and then finish it off with the unit of Bolt Boys. Um, or vice versa, the Bolt Boys might weaken the unit and then suddenly they don't want to cast spells. Um, that 3d6 unbind is really useful for getting for trying to stop that first cast of purple sun um and the best play that gobsprack ever did for me um in tournament play it wasn't in cruel boys it was in big war but i, I do I, it's it's important enough to note here is he actually killed marathi because my opponent wanted to cast mine razor and she was on three wounds left and she didn't consider the possibility she forgot about that special rule that if I unbound it, I do uh, mortal wounds back. So, and, and just a typical Aussie has had that exact same play. I felt like a God that I brought down Marathi on their turn because they just, they, they didn't think about people think about spells as what can that spell do for me? The nice thing about gobsprack is suddenly it's much more of a risky proposition to even attempt the spell. And that's the value. Yes, you, you roll that poor um, five or a six or, you know, something that's really low. And there are some spells that are quite low, casting value four, five or six. And if they don't have Master of Magic, it's, it's just enough to sneak through. It's those spells that you want to unbind because it's super easy to unbind. And Gobsprack is a two a two cast um, unbinder. So all yeah. of a sudden you've got some serious opportunities to do some damage. And then as an opponent, I do think about, oh, do I really need that Mystic Shield, or can I afford to to um, to try to cast that and then take more damage um, with my Wizard? And I've already passed the Heroic Recovery stage, so I can't even heal that up. So yeah, um, yeah there's a lot of great options there. And I I had the same kind of experience because I I used the Trogoth Hag, uh, and the Trogoth Hag is the same type of if you unbind, you can do damage to the caster. So uh, it is a good psychological warfare as well. But um, Anything else you'd add to this list? Um, I, probably one question I had for you that was burning was that we've talked a lot about drops. We've talked about that this list can only be three because you've got multiple commanders in the list. How often are you finding you get to determine who goes first or second? In the UK meta, which is obviously where you're based, um, are you finding threes enough? Are you finding that uh, you get most of the choices, some of the choices, or you just have a good plan that you don't care? Well, it, let, let's let's think for a second about how lists typically get constructed, which is um, armies will typically either be one drop because they're fitting into one battle regiment. If they're not, what? how else could they construct it? Right, well, let's say they go battle regiment plus minimum bounty hunters. That's three drops. That means it's a coin flip. 
if they're trying to maximize it, that's four drops. If they're bringing in a warlord, I automatically outdrop them, and they can't they can't have an army that's just a warlord. So I know if they take a warlord or command entourage, they're guaranteed to be at least four drops. Um, if they're bringing expert conquerors and bounty hunters, I outdrop them. So when I stop thinking about it in terms of average drops and I start thinking about what kind of armies are going to fit into those archetypes, the stuff that tends to be in a one drop are those shooting armies that want to try an alpha strike, right? Primarily. There are exceptions. Or combat. Or combat alpha strikes. They just want to get into yeah. your space. So in those situations, if it's a shooting mirror, Grinning Blades helps protect me. If it's an alpha strike list, let's say it's Iron Jaws, for example, I can put the Hogrot screen nine inches away with Super Sneaky, and now they're Mighty Destroyers. They can't actually move. They have to charge the Hogrot unit, and that mm. protects the rest of my army. So I think three is okay. Like, I could see an argument to go down to two to get underneath the Battle Regiment plus Bounty Hunters. That would require me to give up, let's say, the Breaker Boss. Um, then I think the next list that I have here with the Incarnate ends up being a two-drop. Um, yeah, it is. It is. Um, can I can I ask you as well with the um, with the Alpha Strike Iron Jaws list, for example, the one that wants to turn one, it's going to get in your face. Um, is that also where you'd maybe use Disappearing Act as well, and hopefully get a couple of those nices? Because piggies, you often find your units of Gore Grunters are in units of three. Sometimes they're in sixes, but usually threes. Would you go for a Disappearing Act and hopefully get them off the board in in that first turn to kind of delay the attack? I think I would still go minus one to wound um, because the disappearing acts there, I don't believe they can even, you can even pick mounted units. Um, just double check that while yeah, I I'm, 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 keep talking. Well, I'll but, 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 the, but the important thing here, here is um, you have to beat the wounds characteristics of the unit. So the go grunters, they're what five wounds. So you'd only be on a six. So yeah. it's like the, the actual targets aren't great. I, it would typically, it would likely be minus one to wound, and I would deploy the hogrots nine inches away so they can't get into my face. They have to charge the hogrots or get around them in some fashion. Like they could still teleport charge, obviously, but um, I'm reliant on my screens then. And in that situation, the minus one to wound ends up being more valuable because, yes, the gorgrunt has a high damage output, but if they're wounding on fours, suddenly that's a lot more of a coin flip situation. Yeah, your odd boys and that I'm probably going to get into in turn one. It's your piggies and the more crusher. You can't do the more crusher. And I can't see disappearing act mentions anything about mounts, but you're no. right with the wound, having to roll um, above the wound with gore grunters. It's probably a bit too much. But yeah, I was, I was just thinking like that could be a nice little protection for the alpha strike. But yes, in the iron jaw situation, it probably doesn't work because of the wound characteristic of um, the piggies. Uh, speaking of the Cronspine list, here is the second version of your list. It is two drops as opposed to three drops. A lot of commonality, but also some differences. Um, so you've got your Maya Brute, which is the fast end. You've got your Choking Mist on the Swamp Caller, so you don't have uh, Levitate on that one. You've got your Snatcher Boss, which is Super Sneaky, Arcane Tome, and you've got Nasty Hex as opposed to Flaming Weapon. Uh, two units of Gut Rippers, two units of Hobgrot Slitters, uh, the Incarnate of Gur, which is that universal... Um, monster thing that we all know and love and hate depending on where you are on the fence uh the unit of three manskewer bolts uh two units of three manskewer bolts um so uh, probably 20 less wounds 
Um, although that is technical because we know the incarnate can be anywhere from like one wound or three wounds to like a million yeah. um, or 18. Well, so 36 the, actually. Yeah. So the, 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 the key differences here primarily is um, Gobsprack's gone and three Bolt Boys are gone. And with those 400 points, the incarnate comes in. The nice thing about the incarnate is he's a bearmer, so he can fit into that slot in the battle regiment that the heroes can't. So I go down to two instead of three. Um, I lose Gobsprack, which means I lose the all, knowing all the spells from him. And I still like to have Nasty Hex in my toolkit. For those not aware, it's a 12-inch range spell that shuts off a ward for an enemy unit. And that's really good against a lot of like the, the combat monsters running around. So I've got a five-up ward. It's great. Nurgle. It's great against Nurgle. Yeah, like a lot. Again, um, INF Deepkin, they're running around with five-up wards. Like, yep. There's a lot of great units that don't like to see Nasty Hex. Um, so that's here. I could consider flipping the fast amount trait onto the Sludraker in this configuration because the Sludraker would be bound to the Incarnate for the plus one to cast situation. And in that situation, I may want to keep them kind of the power pair together. I may not. Like, I've play tested this twice. It's been very good. The I'm, I'm running the first list, not the second, to my next tournament, which is Mankinian Carnage. The reason why I'm running that first list is because the Incarnate has been disallowed from the event. Um, it's the only comp that's happening at that event. If it was legal for the event, I, I would strongly consider running this list over it because the Incarnate is just an incredibly good model for specifically armies that don't have a great sturdy front line. And that's like the epitome of what cool boys are. Um, who's, bo can... who's bonded Who's bonded to the Incarnate, by the way? The Sludge Raker. Cool. Cool. Um so I get the plus one to cast on the nasty hex. That's and that's what I thought. I mean, I mean, for for sometimes you don't have to, and if the plus one to cast, depending on where you're putting them on the board, because you've got to be within eighteen inches. So if you're doing two independent threats, you don't need to kind of fall into that trap. But yes, the plus one to cast, especially with a a quick wizard. Um, obviously, you can't do it with the um, with gobsprack because gobsprack is a unique hero, so you can't do that. Unfortunately, that would be yeah. cool. But um, yeah, I like it. You, you could tweak this, and this is like a really strong candidate to swap out Super Sneaky for Master Magic because now you can have your your uh, caster with a plus one to cast and the reroll, and and that's like a nice little at least for the purposes of plus one to unbind for maybe trying to stop a um, purple sun because you don't have Gobsprack, you're a little bit weaker to some spell casting, so that's another consideration. Um, as is Egomaniac for that combo I mentioned about passing the wounds off onto the Incarnate or onto the nearby Hogrots. Um, but the, the commonality here between the two lists is I feel like the into the metagame right now, when there's so many uh, Nighthorn, when there's so much um, Nurgle all running around, having access to Nasty Hex and having those Bolt Boys to kind of dump mortal wounds and stuff, I think is really important. And then the Gut Rippers and the Hobgrots end up being a requirement, really, for the list to function because you do need some screens. Um, there are people who have success with even more Hobgrots, like they're running like 40, 50 Hobgrots in 10-man units. Um, that's a really strong consideration. I don't have... So, like, let's say you could take out the Breaker Boss. That gets you 180 points. And then you could run 20 more Hobgrots. So you've got 40 total. 
and suddenly this list becomes a lot more about controlling space with screens and you still mm. got Karna and the Bolt Boys and that would still be a very strong list. I've not tested that uh, and it's for a very human reason and that is I, I don't want to paint any more Hogrots right now <laughs> um, because my, my other main army is Night Haunt so I'm already painting shed loads of models and there's only so many models I can paint at once. Probably one other burning question about this particular list is um, I noticed you've only got one Swamp Caller Shaman. You often, I mean, you don't often see, but I think probably like 50-50 when I look at lists, there's always like two of them. Sometimes yeah. they're there for redundancy, sometimes because they've got two threats they want to be able to put the poisons on. Um, any reason why you didn't do two Shamans? Um, it's it's just a function of making the points work. Ideally, I'd like to have two because what you want to do is you want to give like the poison to the big bolt boy unit and then have either the option to give the elixir for the plus one save to the sludge raker or give the poison to the sludge raker, you know, have two kind of punchy pieces. That 105 point mark is a bit awkward. As you note, this is 2000 points on the dot. Trying to fit a second one in leaves you with weird amounts of points left over. Like you could do um instead of a unit of hogrot slitters you could have um uh, snarlfang's rippers which is 70 points and that gives you that 10 points which then suddenly you can kind of try and fit one in but the the in an ideal world i would run two because the yeah. second one would fit comfortably into the battle regiment it's because it's in an open slot but I, I, I've tried it, and it, it leaves you with either points left over or you have to cut something that I think is more valuable to what the list is doing. If you're running more, uh, if you're running bigger blocks of Bolt Boys, like you could do two by six instead of this MSU style, then it, uh, MSU being minimum size unit for those not aware. Um, the Shaman having more than one makes a lot of sense because there is nothing more fr frightening for your opponent if they're running a melee army and they have to come towards 12 buffed ball boys because you charge them they only shell they ch you charge the screen like they'll just shoot you back it's like a nightmare thing to deal with so it is really strong um one bit of wisdom i think that we haven't touched on yet in this episode which i think is worth considering is when you look at things from a raw efficiency standpoint if you're primarily going to be using the shaman to give poison you tend to get better results from just running three more Bolt Boys than you would from running a Shaman to buff a unit of Bolt Boys. So if the comparison is six Bolt Boys and a Shaman or nine Bolt Boys, in a lot of game situations, you're getting more value from just having more redundancy and more Bolt Boys than you would from the Shaman because the interaction requires the Shaman to be within three inches of the Bolt Boys. It requires the unit receiving the buff to not be in combat um, which is a, a really awkward little rider that I think some people don't really remember at times. Um, and it, it's important because if they get past the initial screens and they get into combat, suddenly the Shaman can't actually do the, un the function it's in your list to do, which is give that buff out. Whereas if you have more Bolt Boys, they can do their thing regardless of whether or not they're in combat. And they can shoot you out and unlock those units of six or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah, yeah I like it. 
I like it. So I imagine there's a lot of people. And look, there's pros and cons on either side. You know, yes, you could combine the the, the two units of three to a unit of six, and then you've got more options on a on a rally. And especially with some of the battle plans, it gives you a, a rally on a four up or a five up, depending on you know if you're GVs or not. So there's obviously pros and cons on your meta and and battle plans and and, and how you want to run the list. But I think it's been kind of great to kind of get into your head. Um, I probably got maybe a couple more questions and then I'll kind of let you go. Um, I mean, this, this has been great. It's been so good to talk cruel boys, especially because I think when I first, well, my last discussion or previous discussions, it's always just been like big yellows, big yellows, big yellows. And it's been a very narrow path. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, as we've already talked about, you know, you, could I bring gut rippers? No, because big yellows, it's all about bolt boys. Could I bring in me- beast skewers? Well, no. The, you know, it's very fixed kind of mindset. A um, couple of quick questions I probably had for you is, how do I deploy? Again, battle plans, opponents, all these things obviously going to vary, but do you have any advice to me on how I would deploy as a Cruel Boys player? Do you deploy on the line? Do you spread out? Do you castle? Do you, like, how, how, do, yeah, how do you do it? I would describe what I typically tend to do as sort of a loose castle. And what I mean by that is, yes, you want, because the Sludraker buff is in a bubble of 12 inches, it kind of encourages you to bring stuff close together. But the, the worst case scenario for um, a Cruel Boys army is they get into your front lines and they lock up everything behind it. Um, especially if they've got like piling tricks where they're piling six inches or they've got like that one sub faction in Iron Jaws where they can do another charge or you know pile in after combat is finished with the goal grunters so what you want to do is uh, basically position your hobgrats and your sudraker uh, sorry your hobgrats and your gut rippers to be sort of a a first and or second line of defense typically they would just be um you'd have your your hobgrats on the far edges and your gut rippers up front and if they get past the first line, you've got your MSU units of Bolt Boys behind, where if you lose them, yes, it kind of sucks, but you get the, if they charge the screen, you shoot them with the MSU with only shell and they make their points back that way. And But the core important piece is you don't put your Sludge Raker at the front without anything in front of it because it's a four-up save model. It's very easy to actually kill. The Sludge Raker needs to be a counterpunch piece. The Breaker Boss... Maybe you consider putting that on your front line because you don't care so much if that that that, that model is just a, is slightly less resilient than the um, Sludraker. But the important thing here is it's an independent operator. If you lose it, you don't lose a fantastic amount of output the rest of the army. You lose the Sludraker, suddenly the damage output of your army is brought down significantly. Um what I typically tend to do is I put the breaker boss either on the front line, on the edge, on the side. So he's, it's basically if my opponent commits to it, they're kind of away from like the core of what's going on with my army. Or I've put it right up in the slap dab center because I'm trying to um, get it into the middle of the board. Because it's so slow, You where you place it initially is super important. Like... Because if you place it poorly, it may not actually be able to contribute meaningfully to the battle, which is why Super Sneaky is very useful for that function of redeploy um, and why I like giving it faster. Um, But the nice thing here is Grinning Blades 
as a sub faction trait lets you play a bit more fast and loose because you can be fairly certain that un- you can ask your opponent what their threat range is in melee and know how far away you need to be. And if they have a teleport, you play a bit more cagey in how you you deploy things and deploy things further back. If they don't have a teleport, um, you know that you're going to be able to unpack your castle. So you can kind of cluster things in a bit more. Um, I think you deploy a lot more aggressively if you know you're going to go first than if you're going to go second. Um, the Bolt Boys have got enough threat range and they're going to do that. Okay, here's, here's a tip, right? Bolt Boys are 24-inch range at their long range and their 12-inch range for their short range. Yes. Uh, for their double shots. So the natural inclination is you want to put them on your front line right at the edge of deployment zone because you want to make sure that they get their double shot as quickly as possible, right? I think that that is a trap because you have to think about them not in terms of how can they do their damage right away. You have to think about it. How can I protect them so that they're contributing their damage all five battle rounds? Because you're not, this is not an alpha strike army. It may feel like it because it's got high damage potential, but the reality is, is that you just don't quite have the range and the punch to really do enough damage to make that strategy work. So instead you want to keep them back a little bit do the long range, 24 inch range shot, wait for them to commit to the middle. And then what you find is then they're in that 17 inch range where you can get the double shot. Yeah. Um, Gobsprack, you can basically, because he can always re-rollable redeploy himself. Um, you could actually be a lot cheekier in how you position him than you might think, because he makes a fantastic bait piece. He's this big centerpiece model. And they think, well, why is he on this flank by himself? But because he can cast Sneaky Miasma on himself, he can always get to where he needs to be. So he doesn't need to be with the rest of the army. Um, and Grinning Blades protects him from shooting. Um, if you're up against... Obviously, you wouldn't deploy like that if your opponent has like a teleport um, that doesn't require a spell cast. You know, that sort of thing. But up against, like say, an army like Nurgle, where they have to just run up towards you, it can be really tempting to put him off to the side and basically go, right, come and get him. Um, I will redeploy uh, to make your charge harder. If you do make the charge, the likelihood is you won't be able to kill him because Nurgle doesn't have really huge spike damage output. It's very consistent. And um, you can always sneak in Miasma to kind of leapfrog away if you need to. Um, that those are the, the main tips I would offer when it comes to deployment. I love it. I assume Mike's child or partner has walked in. Uh, this is absolutely unplanned live content. Uh, hello. Hello, hello friend. Isaac. Your hobgrot. <laughs> you brought your hobgrot in. I have my little hobgrot buddy, yeah. But definitely not not one of your screens. Um, couple of final questions would be, any favourite endless spells? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, there's a difference here between favorite and best. If we're talking favorite, I absolutely love Ravnat's Nation Jaws. I think it's the platonic ideal of what an endless spell should be. It's fun. It leads to really fun gameplay situations. It doesn't feel unfair. It's just nice. It's got a, a, a important utility. In terms of best, I think Cogs, um, just because it makes the Gobsprack spellcasting more consistent. Um, people have played around with Soul Snare Shackles. Um, which is okay, but it's so easy to unbind. I'm not quite sure that it's worth it. For me, it's it, it would be like Cogs, Purple Sun, because Purple Sun is broken, and uh, Ravnat's National Charles would be the three. <laughs> I'm falling in love with Geminids. I'm falling, I'm, I'm falling absolutely in love with Geminids as well, especially with some shooting units too. Um, 
So uh, that, that's probably one of my favorite as well. Cause like if you, if you use Geminids and I buy Mike some time, um, you know, especially with a unit that you really want to run away from battle shock, you know, being able to turn inspiring presence off, being able to turn off um, some of those key commands that might protect the unit, whether it's a ward, whether it's some type of rally um, can be very tasty. And for 40 points, you, you absolutely, it's a steal. Um, and probably two final questions is how do I beat you? If I'm up against you, you and me, how do I kick your butt? Or on the other side of the, the question, how do I? How do you not lose? So um, really strong uh, effects against Cruel Boys in particular are AoE damage spells that don't require line of sight. So Comet's Call from Seraphon, um, like uh, the, uh, the targeted pinpoint mortal wounds that the um, Celestial Prime does. Yeah, yeah, I, I did that. I actually did that. That's how I was chipping away at the Shaman and the uh, the Bolt Boys because yeah. I tried to run – I run some Prosecutors. I use the 3D6 charge for Prosecutors into the six Bolt Boys. Wrong decision. They got deleted before they got to swing their hammers. Um, it, it, Like the 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 Warsong Revenant has a spell that blows up around the set of trees. That is another strong consideration. Like – Basically, anything that punishes the fact that we're running this sort of MSU playstyle is very strong against us. Likewise, if you've got um, teleports, you have got abilities to do double moves, basically trying to really stress my movement game. Movement's in the hero phase, so I can't have the opportunity to redeploy in response. They're all really strong about what my style of list is trying to do. Uh, and if all else fails, um, just having the durability, like Nurgle, if they have a load of flies, they can basically ignore the fact that you've got so much damage output and still get past your initial screens. Um, I, 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 Mike, we're, we're gonna, Mike, we're gonna Mike up. yeah, I was going to say, Mike, we're going to wrap this up. You're an absolute professional. Thank you very much. Go check out Goonhammer. Elnar is an absolute amazing contributor. More importantly, you've set up your own YouTube channel, Fantasy Wargaming. Link is below in the episode description. Mike's got some family to go sort out. Thank you very much. We're going to end the stream. And um, I hope everyone enjoyed that. And uh, please, if we ever fight, do not do this to me. Those mortal wounds help, uh, hurt. But Mike, run off. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you to everyone who joined the stream. All right, peace out. Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would love it if you press like on the video, as well as left me a comment to let me know what your thoughts are. The conversation will continue over on Discord and the link is down below in the video description. I want to give a massive shout out as well to the AOS Coast Patreons and YouTube members who are going in and the funds are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you're all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a one on a redeploy.